Hi, hmm? ah. oh. hey, you boys and girls out there in podcast land. You need great music for your productions. Sometimes you even need mainstream music. Well, there's one place where you can get both song freedom. They have tunes from every genre of music, even mainstream tunes, as well as oldies, but goodies. And if you sign up for a free account at songfreedom.com slash radio, you'll unlock a free standard gold level license worth $30. That's songfreedom.com slash radio. We thank Song Freedom for their support. Welcome to Radio Film School Short Ends. These are mini documentary episodes about all things cinema to hold you over into the next episode of the main series of Filmmaker's Journey. If you want to know the origin of the term short ends, check the website. Be sure to stay after the credits for a special bonus segment. Enjoy. You're listening to Dare Dreamer FM, the sound of creative expression. You know, one of the things I love about this podcast is that an episode can come from anywhere. Some of the best episodes have been conversational tangents. In fact, our Breaking the Glass podcast miniseries and short film documentary series that we're currently running was all started from a last-minute tangential comment in an interview I had done. Whereas that series came from a tangential conversation at the end of an interview I was conducting, today's episode is the product of the beginning of an interview. You see, earlier in the summer, I interviewed documentary filmmaker Salima Karoma. She's based out of New York City. She has a very interesting story. She's a black woman who runs a K-pop website. You heard me right, K-pop, as in Korean pop, as in... She recently completed a post-production on her documentary, Bad Rap, which follows the lives of four Asian hip-hop rappers and their struggles trying to make it in an industry where there are very few Asian superstars. So I set up the interview to talk to her as part of the aforementioned Breaking the Class series, which, as you know, is all about uh, dealing with issues of race and gender inequality in the film and television industry. But I also want to talk to her for our season two theme of Against All Odds, filmmakers who have faced very challenging odds and obstacles in order to get their projects completed. But at about a minute into our conversation, we had this exchange. Yeah, what are you doing now right now? I'm I'm actually just getting some things ready for my day. I um have uh because I did do that film, the documentary, there's a lot of legal things that I have to take care of that take a very long time. So that's what I'm I'm just uh talking to some lawyers and things like that. Oh interesting. What kind of industry you know we're recording, by the way. I oh yeah, that's it. Okay. Um what kind of legal things? Uh, that's interesting to know. As a documentary filmmaker myself, and I'm sure we have a number of listeners who are interested in that. Um, what kind of things? What kind of legal things do documentary filmmakers need to be mindful of? Oh wow! What followed was a discussion that you absolutely must hear if you've ever had questions about copyrights and filmmaking and especially if you're a documentary filmmaker. It goes without saying, this episode is not intended to replace you getting your own legal advice from, like, you know, a real attorney. But when has that ever stopped you before, right? I mean, come on, let's be honest. I'm Ron Dawson, and this is Radio Film School Short Ends.
Copyrights in filmmaking is an extremely complicated issue. As you'll learn in this upcoming interview, even people who work at major media conglomerates are often confused about it. Documentary filmmakers often cite fair use to explain their use of someone else's copyrighted art in their own artwork. But fair use is a tricky thing, and if you're not careful, you could land yourself in a lawsuit. Our recent Fan Films episode from a couple of weeks ago tackled that issue. From the use of music in your soundtrack versus music as background noise and B-roll to the do's and don'ts of displaying logos and artwork in your films, getting proper rights is way more complicated than even I thought. Now, I've been writing and blogging about the film and video industry for nearly 10 years, and I consider myself pretty knowledgeable about this sort of thing. But even I learned a thing or three during this conversation, and I'm very confident that you will too. I mean, honestly, I am a filmmaker through and through. So all I know is shooting, editing, scripting. That's all I know. And when I did Bad Rap, Bad Rap is a documentary that I um, started shooting when I was in, um, when I was at Columbia, when I was in grad school. And, you know, we follow four different characters, uh, four different rappers, Dumbfounded, Aquafina, Lyrics, and Rex Dizzy. And the project was just me and a co-producer, my co-producer, J.K. Cho, who came on later, who came on later uh, in the film. Um, so normally when you, ha- when you are doing a documentary or you're doing a movie, you have a team of people. You know, you have a DP, you have your directors, you have your sound people, you have people who are dealing with the, the partnerships and money and people who are dealing with the legal stuff. But in this case, it was just J.K. and I. And this was our first film. So as I'm making the film, as I'm editing it, as I'm shooting it, there are things that I've now learned that I should have been doing. One of them is you get releases, you get appearance releases from every single person that is going to be on the screen. Because what happens is even though they're happy, even if they say, okay, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. You can shoot me, you know, or I'm fine. Um, um, yeah, let's just do this interview. You know, you still need to get a release from them because no matter what, something might change in the future. You know, after I've been doing this for three, four years, I've been shooting this doc. I finished the documentary in about three and a half years. And, you know, after three years, the person that I interviewed, you know, two years ago might be like, ah, actually, I, you know, I, I lost a lot of weight since then and I don't like the way that I look. Right. So I'd rather not, you know, I'd rather we redo the interview or I'd rather you not use my interview or yeah, you have that scene with me and my best friend, but now we're not best friends anymore and I don't want to, I, I don't want to uh, be in this scene anymore. So no, I can't, I'm not going to give you a release. So that's sort of the process that I'm going through right now is after the film is done, I'm now having to go back by myself. JK and I, again, we don't have a big legal team or a big, you know, a crew at all. So these are things, these are considerations that we had to make after the fact and by ourselves. So now going back and getting those releases. So that's one thing. The other thing is just you go through the film frame by frame by frame by frame. There's logos in there. You know, we're dealing with rappers. So they're wearing, um, you know, Adidas, or they're wearing some um, logos that I've never heard of before, you know, and now we have to track down the person who um, created that logo or the person who created that piece of art. 
And a lot of times these are underground people, um, but they're the ones who are most likely going to sue you if they find their artwork in your film and there's no release for it. So there's, that's the other thing. The other, the last thing is that because the film is about rappers, a lot of their music has samples in it that they haven't cleared. So it's my responsibility to get that cleared for the movie. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, I've always wondered about the logos thing. So, I mean, so I, I always thought like the reason you saw logos grayed out on like TV shows and movies was because Mm -hmm. the companies didn't pay for that Ah. advertising, but you're saying it's because the artwork wasn't cleared to be shown on your, in your art, essentially. Absolutely. Wow. That's eye opening. And then if you just think about it, um, if you had a piece of work that you, you know, you made and you see it on, on television and see somebody, you know, wearing it. And this has actually happened with bad rap. We have merchandise that we've seen on television shows and in my, you know, maybe I'm just naive. I'm thinking, Oh, great. This is great. You know, my brand is being put out there, but a lot of people specifically, you know, like Nike or whatever it is, they don't, you know, they have a specific marketing agenda. Maybe they don't want to be affiliated with rappers. Maybe they don't want to be affiliated with whoever's in your field, whoever's in your film. Sure, so sure. that's why you just need the permission. So that's interesting. So mm. in, in the, in the legal work that you've been doing with your attorneys or whatnot, has the issue yes. of fair use come up? Cause I know this is as again, as a documentary filmmaker myself, this is something yeah. that I've come across and mm. I've, and I've written about it to some, to some extent on my blogs and, talked about on my podcast but i know there's a lot of confusion around it especially around documentaries and so yeah yeah, i i think there's a a a common thought that if you're making a documentary everything you put in your film is fair use Mm. is that not the case or has that been something you've dealt Uh, with absolutely not not even close if you think that things are fair use that you know you're going to get your 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 pants sued off Um, and this is something that I've had to learn as well. I thought that I could use fair use as a crutch, um, and fair use, I'm sure your listeners know fair use. There's sort of like, um, I don't know, what do they call it? Uh, there's certain standards that your, um, that a portion of your film or whatever portion you're looking at, there's certain standards that they have to, that your film has to pass for it to be fair use. I believe there's four, four, four standards or something like that. Um, and this is the part that people don't understand there. Fair use is not something that you say, okay, this is fair use. Oh, this is fair use because A, B, and C. Fair use is something that you have to argue. So if, if somebody takes you to court and, um, for using their thing that you, that you thought was fair use, you can make an argument for why you think it's fair use. But if the other person makes a better argument and says, this is not fair use, then you're getting sued. Or you're getting, you have, you know, there's going to be a penalty for that. So as my lawyer always says, yes, we can fair use things, but let's try to just clear everything because if we get permission for everything, then nobody can take us to court and argue against our fair use argument. So how difficult or easy Mm. has it been getting clearances for the things like in your film that would count as fair use, but yeah. you're still trying to get clearance for it. Like, how do you find yeah. the people who is responsible for doing that kind of stuff? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, because there are several considerations, several ways that that happens. Um, one, you can either do it by yourself, which if you don't know 
if you don't know intellectual property law or copyright, it's something that you're going to have to read up on and just like know. And, and the reason why if you don't know it, you don't want to risk it is because the consequences are vast if you make a mistake. So the first step into clearing everything is literally, you know, I went frame by frame and I put down everything that I hadn't cleared, every piece of footage, every piece of music that hadn't been cleared. And I thought, okay, great. I'm going to send this to the lawyer that I'm working with. She's going to go through it and she's going to clear all that stuff, right? That wasn't the case. I went through, I put in all the things I thought that needed to be cleared. She went back through the film and put down everything else, which is almost double what I had, you know, and I had a pretty hefty list already. And so she saw things that I didn't see at all. And because her, her, she's trained to look for those things, right? So just for example, one of the scenes that I shot was in New York. It was just like, I, I wanted to get a feel of what New York felt like, what Times, Times Square felt like. And I had shot all these things thinking, okay, great. You know, this is New York. I want people to feel like it's in New York. And she goes, listen, Salima, you have Mamma Mia in the background. And although that's part of New York... You know, we got to get that cleared. You have Dwayne Reed, you know, right here. You got to get that cleared. There's an MTV logo passing by on a taxi cab. You got to get that cleared. You know, these oh are things. Oh my gosh, are you are, kidding me? Absolutely, see, absolutely. And and yeah, you can risk it and say, okay, well, I don't think these people from Mamma Mia are gonna come are gonna come knocking at my door. Yeah, I could risk that, um, but I would rather not. Mm-hmm. You know, and then you have to weigh. Uh, you, there's a lot of things that you have to weigh. And this is why once, once my lawyer sent me her list, we then both went through everything and she asked me questions about each piece of footage. Why is this footage important? Where did you get this? Uh, did you get a release for this? Did the release include this wording? So you have to weigh how important is the scene to you? How likely is it that they're going to come after you and can you possibly switch it out for a different scene or for a different piece of footage or a different piece of music or can you switch it out for somebody else? So you have to weigh all these things and then make a decision. Sometimes I'll take the risk and sometimes I'm definitely not going to take the risk. Wow, that is extremely eye-opening. Actually, good for me to know because I'm actually working on two documentaries now, uh, one of which is the one for which I'm interviewing you, our Women in Film series. Um <laughs> I mean, I feel confident that based on the use, it's like fair use because it's, it's making commentary on these films and it's kind of journalistic in nature. But but now, given the things you're saying, it gives me pause as to like to go back and seeing to what extent I should look for clearances for those clips. Well, well, here's the other thing to consider. Just like I was saying, as filmmakers, we have to balance what's important and what's not and when to, you know, fair use and what... Just as we have to make that consider those considerations, the people who own the copyright also have to make those considerations. So they're looking at bad rap that was at Tribeca, um, you know, premiered at Tribeca, went to L.A., you know, will probably get picked up soon. They're looking at that and saying, how successful is this film going to be and how much money is it going to make? If you're doing something... Um, you know, like you're taking clips of The Walking Dead, if you're not going to make any money from it or there's no money going to be made from it, you know, you you know, I'm not saying that you should use it or not clear it, but they have to, the, the copyright owner is going to make that 
decision of, okay, well, who cares? Nobody's going to, you know, nobody's going to see this thing or it's not going to make any money. So I don't, I, I'm not worried about it, but if it's going to theaters, if it's going to Netflix, if it's, then they're going to be more inclined to say, okay, you know, we want a little bit of that or you can't use that or, you know, you know what I mean? Sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I mean, this is going to be on you know, like YouTube and Vimeo mm-hmm. only, but it's, yeah, I'm, I'm still going to look into it. Uh, yeah, it's, wild, it's the wild, wild west when it comes to this stuff. The remix culture is such, it's, it's you know, again, and then if you're talking about digital, that's a whole different thing, right? Because I have to think about theatrical. If you're just, you know, releasing it digitally, you know, you, you, digital is just a totally different beast because, again, there's the remix culture. Can you take something that's already created, you know, like a Warhol, take something that's already created, create a different version of that or use elements of that thing in your work? And is it new? Is it a new piece of work? Um, and do you now own the copyright to it? We don't know the answers to these questions when it comes to digital. And so I think a little bit of research uh, would go a long way with that one. Yeah. This is a crazy time. Crazy. <laughs> I mean, it's exciting, but crazy at the same time. And uh, it's so it's so confusing. It I is. Mean, there's so many things. I mean, and then music just plays a whole nother part. I mean, I I oh. see this is something that I've written about and talked about a lot, like how to mm-hmm. legally use music and and particularly in films and videos. And there's a lot of misunderstanding about how it works. And, yes. you know, people think they've paid because they paid a dollar ninety nine on iTunes that they own yeah. a song and they can put it in their video and <laughs> I mean and honestly part of the confusion I think is because a lot of people are introduced to the idea of using music because they have iMovie and iMovie is connected to iTunes you can easily oh. drop in an iTunes song from iMovie and so uh, that's there I mean unless they've really studied film and oh. the legal aspects of it you know they wouldn't know. Um, but, you know, I started in the industry doing wedding films back in 2002, and every wedding video under the sun has mm-hmm. copyrighted music all throughout. And so mm-hmm. for years, I mean, even now, people still make wedding videos with music that's technically illegally used. And, right. But as it became more of an issue, mm-hmm. as, uh, you know, as wedding filmmakers and wedding videography became more popular and... Um, and, you know, like you said, the digital age, as more and more of these videos to go online, you know, about five or six years ago, a prominent wedding filmmaker who did, um, he did the uh, wedding video for um, one of the Dallas Cowboys. Mm. And uh, he put the wedding video on YouTube because it was a Dallas Cowboy, I think it was the quarterback. Um, mm. And uh, obviously the video, because, you know, it was the wedding video of the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys <laughs> got like a million plus views on on uh, YouTube mm. and the wedding videographer who's like a little guy he's like me and you like you know yeah. uh, got sued and he settled out of, he settled out of court um, and it's because the music he had you know I think EMI which seems to own yes. every music under every- the sun <laughs> right mm-hmm. um, was the song holder and so there have been you know companies you know like Musicbed and Song Freedom yeah. who now have opportunities for filmmakers to legally use those kind of songs and yeah. that kind of videos, but yeah, there's still a lot of confusion around that. And mus- music is the, the music is really difficult because remember what I was saying? There are some, you know, some, uh, 
some like copyright holders they have to make you know balanced decisions on whether or not they want to sue music companies will almost always go after you <laughs> right right <laughs> music like they don't care and the re- one of the reasons i think why is because back in the day and i i learned this while i was looking doing clearances for this film back in the day you look at the publishers for a song and maybe there was one or two or three publishers now there are 15 publishers 15 20 publishers for one song and it's that which is great for the artist because the artist now you know so say there's a, a, a hip hop song you know with Drake featuring Young Thug featuring Chief Keith featuring Baby featuring Lil Wayne and Nicki Minaj right 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 each of them has has now because they want to own the masters or own the some of the publishing for their music each of them has a publishing company whereas it used to be maybe one or two you know Warner EMI you right, know right. Sony now. Everybody, you know, now there's OVO uh, publishing and, um, you know, Cash Money publishing and all these publishers for one song. And so they're looking to get their money, you know. So I think it's just a little bit more difficult now to be able to use music. Um, And there's still and there's a lot of myths that people think when um, that people you know, feel are true. Mm-hmm. One of them being you can use you can use a you know less than thirty seconds and you're okay with the music, or as long as you you only use seven seconds of footage, then you're okay. Or as long as you only use um, a certain amount of it's a lot of that stuff is not true. So um, you know, don't fall victim to the myths when it comes to clearances because uh, you know going into court and telling the judge, well, I thought I could use seven seconds of it is not going to let you off. <laughs> right. Right. And, and you know, it makes it even more confusing, particularly for people who are doing video. I see all these video essays out now, some of them, which mm-hmm. I enjoy watching. One of the more popular ones is every frame of painting. Are you familiar mm-hmm. with that? By no, Tony I'm not. It's, um, it's one of the most popular video essays on YouTube. Mm-hmm. You know, his videos get million plus views. And these are video essays where he'll do an analysis of Akira Kurosawa's work and he'll take clips from various Akira Kurosawa um, videos and have voiceover commentary about Kurosawa's work. Um, and he's done it for um, Jackie Chan. He's done it for other films um, mm-hmm. and whatnot. So he is his a Patreon and, you know, because he's so popular, he has a, a huge Patreon following. So I think he's mm-hmm. getting anywhere from like six to $8,000 per video from just his Patreon followers. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, see something like that and like, is he, I seriously doubt he's contacting uh, the copyright holders and getting clearance. And, and he's not the only one. There's other, there's lots of video essayists out there who do similar work. Right. And I just know they're not going out contacting them in. I'm sure they're claiming fair use because this yeah. is an educational video. Um, and then also, I have a question: I, yeah. are, Is he is he talking about specific clips? You know, that's another that's another fair use claim. Mm-hmm. I believe is if you're talking specifically about those specific clips, and you're you know you're not just using them as B-roll, then there's some there's some leeway there. Yeah, he is. I mean, he's specifically talking about the shots. I mean, that's the whole point of the essay. It's like you yeah. know, in the, you know, like in this shot. Uh, Kurosawa is using movement to do blah blah blah. Yes. So yeah, absolutely he is. Um, mm-hmm. But there there are parts of the video say where he's not specifically talking about a clip. Yeah. 
but there is footage that is acting as B-roll. And so, like, maybe it's a it's a prelude to a topic right. he's going to talk, but he hasn't specifically talked about that clip yet. Right. Um, and again, you know, there's other ones that that I've seen, and um, and then so you see stuff like that, and you think, well, obviously that falls under fair use, and um, and uh, and I think about everything as a remix, which. Um, yes. Uh, you know the very popular series by Kirby Ferguson. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that he got clearances for all the right. for all the clips that he used. So, well, you know, I, I worked at Time Magazine as oh, okay. a producer for a while, mm-hmm. and they don't know the an- like nobody really knows the answer to this. There are, a few, I mean, there are a few times where the companies that I've worked for were sued for certain video content as reporters. We didn't really know about it, but the upper, the, you know, the guys at the top, they knew about some of the footage that we use that they got sued for, but they still don't really know the rules. So it's really at this time when it comes to digital, when it comes to online, again, it's the wild, wild west. A lot of times I'd have, I'd have my senior say to me, okay, we'll just use that clip. We're not sure if we can use it, but like, let's try to make an argument for it. Or I'm not sure if we can use it, but let's just use it. And it's just because that's what the industry is like right now. There's, it's trial and error. So if, if we get sued for, do, for putting a video that we thought was okay, because we weren't sure of the rules, we get sued. Okay, now we know that we're not allowed to do that. And now legislation is being made or whatever. So it's right now we're in a period of trial and error and like, oh, okay, let's just do it and see what happens. Are, do you think companies are more inclined to do a cease and desist or do they just come out with guns blazing? I, I actually don't know the answer to that. I'm not sure. Yeah. It's probably best not to find out. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for that little legal lesson. Um, that'll probably be like a whole episode just in itself. <laughs> um, serious. This conversation that I had with Salima couldn't have come at a better time. It was right when I was in the middle of editing two documentaries, or rather near the end of editing two documentaries to be precise. My long-awaited short film personal documentary, Mix in America, where I use a number of movie and television clips, and the trailer for our Breaking the Glass series that I mentioned earlier about gender inequality in Hollywood, where I also use movie and television clips. I was more concerned about the Breaking the Glass trailer since that is a sponsored project that is likely to have more visibility than my personal project, Show regular Yolanda Cochran, who's also a co-producer on the Breaking the Glass series, has a lawyer friend in the business that she asked about this issue, specifically about our use of the clips in our trailer. Ron? Hey, Yolanda, how are you? Is it okay to record or should I stop recording? You can record. Sounds like you have bad news for me. I have really bad news for you. (laughs) Okay. So what was the bad news that she had? I think you'll be surprised at what she discovered. I also speak to one of the women responsible for the Center for Media and Social Impact's Fair Use Best Practices document for documentary filmmakers, a sort of industry standard of guidelines for documentary filmmakers created with the help of a team of lawyers and doc filmmakers. Tune in next week to hear all those wonderful insights as we continue part two of our topic on copyrights in documentary filmmaking. Radio Film School is a production of Dare Dreamer FM. This episode was written and produced by me. Chris Huslich is our co-producer. Radio
Ready Film School is a proud member of the Podcastica Network, a small collection of pop culture podcasts that cover topics from your favorite television shows to meditation and health to podcast production. This and other great shows can be found at podcastica.com, a cornucopia of podcasty goodness. Music for this episode, as usual, was curated from freemusicarchive.org. Links to tracks are in the show notes. And speaking of music, gotta give props to our sponsor, Song Freedom. They have a huge library of songs from every genre. And they're your best source to license music from mainstream artists like The Lumineers, American Authors, One Republic, and Kobe Calais, or classic tunes from the likes of Frank Sinatra, The Temptations, Bob Dylan, and more. Go to songfreedom.com radio and sign up for a new account and you'll get a free standard gold level license worth $30. That's songfreedom.com radio. We thank Song Freedom again for their support. Another fantastic way that you can support the show is by becoming a daredreamer.fm premium member. Premium membership helps keep the show going and putting out great weekly content. Now, for a monthly price about the same as a Subway Meal Deal special, you not only support the show, but you get access to ebooks, templates, bonus episodes, discounts on other products and services, and other resources to help you grow in your craft and your career. Go to daredreamer.fm join to learn more. Be sure to leave a rating and review in iTunes if you dig what we're doing on the show. The more ratings we get, the better it helps us in the rankings, which helps the show get found by others. You can follow me on Twitter at daredreamerfm, and you can follow the show at Radio Film School. And if you like this episode, share it on Twitter or email it to a friend. That's it for this week. Remember, if the story sucks, I don't care what you shot it with or cut it on. Hey, all you female filmmakers out there, I just wanted to give you a reminder that for the next uh, three weeks or so, we still have openings to get your submission for our Breaking the Glass video vignette challenge. Essentially, there are two ways you can participate in this. You can, uh, one, submit a short 30 to 60 second profile video about you as a filmmaker. That's not a part of the contest. It's just something that anyone can do. It's our way of being able to highlight filmmakers um, of the female variety out in the world and to be able to share with the world the work that you guys are doing. The contest part of the challenge is we're looking for female filmmakers to submit themed vignettes for the different themes that we have going on in the Breaking the Glass series. And you can get a full breakdown uh, from a link on the blog post for this episode. But uh, again, it's a 30 to 60 second submission that fits the theme. There's six different themes and we're going to use these as sort of interstitial segments during the documentary film series of the show. Uh, once again, just go to the blog post for this episode and there will be a link with more details explaining how you can participate. Look forward to seeing your work. Until next week, ciao. You're listening to Dare Dreamer FM, the sound of creative expression. Hmm? Ah! Oh.